Hold on. So, uh, welcome to the podcast. This is Walker Diebel. 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 <laughs> you screwed me up, man. Today I have a guest. is Walker Diebel. Walker, welcome to the show. How are you? John, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here and, and uh, honored to be uh, hanging out uh, with you today. Well, I got to tell you, so the, here's why I have Walker Dybul on the podcast is because he's written a book called uh, Buy, Then Build. And I, he's also, if you go to Forbes, he's one of the five top recommended books to read, Buy, Then Build. Yeah, it's a great read. I get it. I'd run to uh, Amazon. I am not an affiliate, but I'd run to Amazon and get this book because it's a really great, great uh, comprehensive read. So I, Walker, I want to talk to you about... Uh, how you got into this uh, buy then build and your story about viewpoint. Cause I'm familiar with you. Sure. I've been in technology all my life. I lived in Silicon Valley, raised some capital. Uh, I was part of a startup called Turbo Squid. Uh, eventually sold it to Shutterstock long, long ago, but uh, viewpoint I do remember. So tell, tell me about that story. Yeah, so so if, if you really want to learn about sort of like my genesis into acquisition entrepreneurship, I would actually go go back a number of years. Do you, do you want to go back or yeah, do you want to let's talk go about? Back. Yeah, we okay, got okay, okay. So it, it really was all about um, uh, when I went I went to WashU Washington University in St. Louis to get my MBA, right? And while I was there, I was I was you know I, I sort of um, had a couple of concentrations. One was in entrepreneurship, right? I I, I knew I wanted my own business. You know, I knew I knew that uh, um, uh, this was the direction I wanted to go, and I sort of learned two things going through the MBA program. Number one is that MBA programs are really sort of engineered for you know middle management in large organizations, or there's this sort of niche in entrepreneurship, which is all about like we are going to raise capital from from venture capital and sort of swing for the fences type innovative you know startup companies, right? And this, this these were the, really the two paths, and um, the problem, of course, with the sort of, you know, the, the startup model is that it, it, it's got an extremely high failure rate, right? If you really start to unpack it, I started to learn like, okay, this is actually a venture capital game. Venture capital are the ones that actually win. And any given entrepreneur has a, has a strong likelihood of failure, right? And it turns out that 96% uh, of, of all companies in the United States never exceed $1 million in revenue. Okay, and when you start to look at the venture capital companies themselves, uh, seventy-five percent of VC-backed firms go completely to zero. Right. So, so you know, we started this company. I kind of used it, used my MBA as sort of like a resume shield, you know, to 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 start a company. Me and me and a few uh, classmates got the license to using um, what is now called real 3D. Right. Like you go to the movie theater and you wear the the 3D glasses. We had that in 2003, but used for point of purchase advertising. Okay, so we were licensing this technology. We were in we were in you know big talks with it with a national retailer who I don't think I'm allowed to say who it is. I'll just say it rhymes with Walmart. And you know they were going to kind of like roll it out nationwide. And we had these sort of point of purchase you know 3D things. We learned it really like increased retention, like you know, like like tenfold, right? Um, we 
lost the license <laughs> like basically in one day okay and they never and i can't even tell you if it's the same company or the same exact technology that went on to become real 3d but like i like to imagine that they were like listen we're talking to james cameron we've decided we're going to go make avatar we don't need you three mba students in st louis you know what i mean so 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 this was like my first big failure there was an achilles heel uh, we came in second in the business plan competition. We 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 had a customer on the hook. We had uh, uh, financing starting to line up, and the whole thing ended in failure. Which, it, you know, if you read or, or or listen to the top entrepreneurs, like the iconoclastic entrepreneurs, they will often say, "I just took a lot of at bats, right?" Because it's all about failing. It's about learning from your failures and getting out there and trying again. Okay. Yeah. When I graduated. Um, I was one of, I think, two students who didn't who didn't actually look for a job during during school, right? So, so I, you know, I had this really promising startup, uh, and I went from being like an MBA student with a really promising startup to being completely unemployed and not a student, <laughs> uh, like in 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 a, in a couple of weeks, right? And so it was one of these things where I knew that I had already like sort of pounded the pavement to raise a bunch of capital. I I didn't have another idea that felt like. That, that wasn't, you know, I, all my ideas were like too big, you know what I'm saying? And, and so I knew there was a way to sort of acquire an existing business. And once I started to think about it, I was like, these existing companies, they're bankable. Like I can go to the bank and just get the money. I don't have to do a, you know, a 12 to 14 month roadshow. Um, you know, it's got existing cash flows. It's got existing customers. It's got product market fit. And it has the infrastructure and all of the things that we as startup entrepreneurs are trying to build from scratch. So why wouldn't we sort of like start on first base, right? Almost like a, almost like a, a saber metrics, but for entrepreneurship. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Do you follow Keith Cunningham out of Texas? That guy? I, I hate to say that I don't, I don't know who that is. Great, great guy. He calls it uh, buying a plane that's already flying versus trying to buy a plane on the ground. Like it, it's never exactly. been proven to take off. Yeah. Well, well it's sort of like the, the, the rocket analogy, right? Like rockets will use 90% of their fuel or a little more, I think, to actually get out of orbit. Right. And so, so and it's only 67 miles up. That's right. That's right. 67, 68, whatever it takes. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. So it's, there's so much, it takes so much capital and so much effort to go from zero. They're like, why wouldn't you just go buy, you know, if you buy a company that's doing a million dollars in revenue. Okay. When I was an MBA student, that was such a small company. I ignored it. Right. It's larger than 96% of all companies in the United States. It's such a low bar for being so extraordinary and exceptional. I know this is kind of a uh, 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 offshoot here, but what do you think of micro acquire? I mean, the guy is uh, gaining a lot of traction, but a lot of these businesses, like they're the you know rejects from the VCs. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not saying that I'm not being mean by saying that. I'm just saying right. that they can't raise money because uh, yep. they're just not growing fast enough. Do they? Are they just on like a cigarette butt on their last type of uh, you know life cycle on this? So okay, if you look at traditional private equity. Right. I mean, they really like to party in the sort of like middle market. Okay. So sort of like 25 million to 250 million in acquisition value. Right. Um, once you start getting below that, then you have this sort of like, you know, what you might call an acquisition entrepreneur and the sort of like main street market sort of sub $5 million acquisitions. And when you are, you know, when you've got a, when you, when you're going to do a transaction that's between like 6 million and 25 million, 
there's really sort of, that's where the barbell thins out. The market gets even thinner, right? And so the thing is, is like, you know, if you look at sort of the average, you know, deal size of a search fund, you know, you're looking at like 12 or $13 million, right? So something that's a little bit bigger than maybe a financial buyer, uh, but something that's definitely smaller than traditional private equity. Uh, but uh, you're still getting a couple million dollars in adjusted EBITDA, right? So these are very meaningful companies. Um, it's just that these these uh, private equity firms have, uh, I believe it's like $3 trillion now just in dry powder. So, $3 trillion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, a trillion so, a year ago. Yeah. yeah, so since they put in 40 to 60% equity infusion into every deal, you can take that $3 trillion, multiply it by two. That's how much money they need to deploy, okay? So the thing is, is like, these are not bad companies. The private capital markets have had better returns than any other asset class in the world for decades, Okay. And so it's people who own companies or the people that are getting the best returns, period. And the thing is, is that like by, by targeting under private equity, that's exactly what my whole career has been about, right? I mean, that, that's, that's to me the, the gem where you can sort of get in, but there's not a whole bunch of institutional capital like driving the price up um, and, and, and sort of like fighting you for those opportunities. So if, if you can manage it and if you can get the capital, I think that's the that's the golden ring right there. If you can get the capital, that's the biggest deal. So talk, talk, let's go back to that viewpoint. So what happened to this, the viewpoint where you, yeah. I mean, you tried to raise the, the capital and then it just. Yeah, viewpoint was, viewpoint is great. So, so, so backing up just a little bit, okay. I, I ended up going corporate after, after uh, my MBA. Like I couldn't figure out how to actually buy a business. Like, like I started and and I started realizing like this market is fragmented, it's opaque, I can't get any good information. And you know, um, everything from you know, an investment banker to a business broker to an M&A advisor, like, like I just couldn't figure it out fast enough, right? So I ended up going okay. corporate. Just curious, were your parents in business entrepreneurs? Did they buy yeah. or buy or something? You got it, you got it. So my dad ended up owning a company after uh, two people died. <laughs> he works there, he works there. I'd say he worked there for 20 years um, and uh, two people died and he ended up with the company. Uh, the thing that, that maybe is maybe to your point, both of my grandfathers owned their own companies. Yeah, that's the entrepreneurial steering. I'm not saying you can't do it, but sometimes right. it's passed down this, like, here's what you should be doing because- That's right, that's right. I, I mean, the, the thing is, is that like, you'll see my book is actually dedicated to the memory of my grandfather, Bob Dybul. Yeah. And um, uh, Bob uh, bought, he, 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 uh, he had a, a feed company, like, like, like while it was being like, like rolled up by these big firms, right? So he had a, like a cattle feed company, ended up selling it based off of the balance sheet, he took the offer, sold the business, and then he went out and he, and he acquired a filter company, okay? So he actually bought a small business and did this, right? And so the thing is, is like, you know, we look at you know, all these iconoclastic entrepreneurs and we're just like, oh man, you know, Jeff Bezos and like, like, like Elon Musk and all these, all these things. And like they grace the covers of these magazines and it's all about the startup. But the, the truth is, is these are exceptional people. These are exceptional results. And the thing is, is that like, if, if you want to, you know, just use the baseball analogy again, if you, if you want to get in and, and, and swing for the fences with like the best hitters, you know, in the league, then like you, you can do that. Uh, or, you can focus on getting on base, right? And we all know, you know we've all seen Moneyball, and I mean, you know, we, you know, this is how this is how the sort of like underdog, you know, baseball teams were able to win World Series, right? So, so the thing is, and the the thing that's slightly less well known, by the way, is that um, Elon Musk uh, acquired PayPal, 
and he acquired Tesla. These were small businesses that he bought, right? So we all like to think like, oh, he's a co-founder of all these things. He actually got sued by, by uh, uh, changing his title to co-founder of Tesla. He got sued by one of the real co-founders, right? So the thing is, is like, it's, it's not about, it's not about, you know, starting from scratch, like buying, buying a company at a million dollars in revenue and, you know, accelerating the value creation is entrepreneurship at its purest form, right? So whether, whether that be, you know, starting completely from zero or starting off the ground, you're still doing the same job. Yeah. Your question was about uh, a viewpoint. I'm sorry. Yeah, Let me circle back. Okay. Help it around because when you mention this, it's like, okay, if I set myself in the shoes of Elon Musk and I'm looking at all these companies on micro acquire where there's no broker dealer relationship, they just charge 300 bucks to get on there. And I go like, well, if I can identify a trending opportunity where the guy's already got it started, that could be a good opportunity, just like Elon. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I, you know, I think that, um, you know, through my career, uh, I have ended up acquiring 16 and a half million dollars in revenue. Okay. And it, it ended up being over, you know, seven different companies and like three or four different verticals. Right. And frankly, I, if I did it again, instead of, instead of acquiring and starts, instead of thinking of myself as sort of like the smallest little private equity firm that no one's heard of. I wish I had bought all in one vertical, yeah. right? Because that, that's a huge company and, and you get multiple expansion or valuation expansion as you get bigger into different pockets, right? So, um, uh, you know, pulling it back around, uh, I went corporate and then I started looking for a business to acquire while I was working. And I ended up, I, we can go into this story if you want, but I ended up buying yeah. my company. Well, hold on. I ended up buying my first company, which was Corley Printing Company, okay? Orly Printing Company. Yeah, and I ran this company for uh, seven years, okay? Um, and then I ended up exiting to an acquisition target, okay? What happened was when I exited in 2013, um, uh, between you and me and everyone listening to this, I, I, it was the same month that I paid the last payment on the, on the debt to acquire the business, okay? So I had an exit, uh, you know, a meaningful exit on that day, and the thing was, was I was like, all right, what am I going to do with this? And this is where Viewpoint came along. I, I did the startup thing again. Okay. You already know how this, how this ended. We Not already know. <laughs> yeah. So Viewpoint, I mean, what Viewpoint had going for it was um, a, a great technology, a proven dev team. Uh, we had the CTO of a, of a publicly traded company working with our dev team. We recruited a Microsoft executive to be our CEO we went through one of the top 10 accelerator programs in the world. We oversubscribed the capital raise and we couldn't actually get anyone to go from a free, you know, beta to actually paying for it. Okay. And, and, and I think that like a lot of times people are like, oh, you know, like not, we didn't have product market fit or whatever. The, our core issue uh, with that company was that users loved it. They relished the experience of viewpoint. The problem was that our target market was multiple users inside huge companies. So we needed the CTO of these companies to sort of like take half an hour with us and allow us to integrate it into their SharePoint system on their server. Okay. That's all we needed. Um, and the thing was, was that like what we concluded was the users loved it. It was never important enough for a CTO to, to become like one of the top three things that a CTO was spending time on. Right. Yeah. And so, and so when we pivoted to try to sell it directly to consumers, 
we ended up shutting down uh, SharePoint servers across the country with different uh, companies. And that was, um, you know, hashtag fail. Don't do that. <laughs> so it's sort of like our, our end users wanted it, but the one person sort of like holding the purse strings and like access to the server, like we were never important enough for them. So it completely fell apart. No paying customers. Yeah, I mean, we were running beta programs at, you know, I don't want to name them, but like, you know, if I said the, these firms, you would know all of them, right? I mean, they were big companies. Um, we just couldn't, couldn't get it around the corner. Um, so we ended up selling, you know, the, the I, I say I've had two and a half exits, uh, viewpoint being a half because we sold the we sold the uh, code base for ten cents on the dollar, right? Oh, geez, yeah. Did yeah. They acquire, did they take any of the aqua hires with them, the programmers, or just total? Just, just yeah, the develop. It was actually the um, the employer of the third party development team that was also a minority shareholder that ended up acquiring the thing. Oh. Right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. So they took it in house and uh, uh, went with it that way, which which was the right move. We were just glad that they wanted to buy it. Um, I don't know the status of it now. I don't know. So I wish I could tell you. Well, I, guess I, I have a story on that. Uh, I was part of into it and my buddy uh, launched Step Up, which was this is where the early days of the Internet. He goes like it, it's helped small businesses get found on the Internet. Mm. And Intuit bought the company for $60 million, shut everything down in one year and kept the two developers. It just, mm -hmm. technology didn't do what it, what we thought it could do. Yeah. And, you know, the, just the way the internet was moving this day, but uh, they did keep a couple of the programmers and that's it. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. But he made out with $10 million. Well, that's nice. That's nice. <laughs> and, and, yeah. I mean, it, it's like, it's like, it still had legs and, and, uh, um, uh, you know, whatever. But but coming back to my journey, it was one of these where I was like, how come, like, look, every time I start a company, I can't get it to work. And not only that, but like, look at the empirical evidence. It's the same as everybody else, right? <laughs> and so- a million ways to die in the West. And a million ways right? to all the startups, man. Yeah. So, so that's when I was like, look, I mean, you know, when I, when I, when I, when you, when you buy an existing company, you know, you've got all the benefits that I just talked about and- you know, I, I've taken a couple of really strong at bats here with 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 startups, um, and uh, so I'm going to go out and buy companies. And so I went out and I bought six companies over over about uh, I don't know three to five years. Yeah, what's the first one that you bought? Uh, the first one I bought was um, it was a fulfillment company uh, based out of uh, Springfield, Missouri. Okay. And the thing is, is that when I went down there, so, so it was a broker that I knew and had worked with in the past, right? And he called me and he said, uh, how's that startup going? And I was like, oh, Gary, it's, a, it's on the rocks. And he said, good, there's a business down here. You got to see it. <laughs> it's a perfect fit for you. Get down here. And I went down and I, and I sort of walked in, you know, I pulled up and I, I sort of looked at the place and it was this very, you know, like, um, what's where I'm looking for? Um, um, unassuming building, right? I mean, just, you know, run-of-the-mill small business right and I walked in and, and I met the I met the two owners and and my my first hot take was there's no way like this is not going to work right uh, but it was one of these where you know I'd driven down there and I had a couple of hours with them and so I ended up figuring out that they had this really archaic sort of legacy ordering system that like all of their customers were actually using okay and uh, it needed to be it, what I ended up seeing was like, okay, if we can upgrade this software, 
then what we can do is create an Amazon-like experience for inside businesses to use with multiple locations, okay? I got to ask you, Chad, because I know where you're going in this because I've done that before. Are you applying your startup expertise on saying, I'm going to really... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the thing is, is like, you know, when I think about what should I acquire or where should we grow or like why startups work or not, it's really all about trying to harness the trends that are happening, right? And, you know, if you go back in your mind to like 2013 or 14, right? I mean, Amazon was, was exploding, right? And so this was like, okay, let's do this in the B2B space. And so I bought the company. I used the cash flow of the company to build a, um, you know, a, a, a proprietary e-commerce storefront that we then rolled out to, uh, once it was built, we rolled it out to all of our customers and we had over 20,000 users in the first week, okay? Let, let, let me go Hold back. On. I wanna want say one thing, one yeah. thing, which is everything we were trying to accomplish at Viewpoint. I did it in eight months by buying a small business and then you know using the cash flow to build the whole product and then rolled it out to existing customers. Your eyeballs just like, like well, boom, man. What a, what a time difference and a lot absence of frustration. <laughs> yeah. So how did that negotiation go with the guy? I mean, uh, the cash flow out of the business, was it an SBA loan or? Uh, yeah, I took it. I mean, it was, it was textbook by then built strategy. You know, I put 10% down, I put a 10% um, uh, cash infusion into the business, took an SBA loan for 90%, including accounts receivable, minus payables, plus inventory, plus a little extra working capital cash. A okay. lot of car belts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, finance the, the, you know, 90% of the whole thing. Um, uh, Did the guy exit the, yeah, he exited yeah. completely. I, yeah. I wrote him a check that day. I won't say never talk to him again, but you know, basically never talk to him again. Yeah. Uh, he left. Um, he was a great guy, very innovative guy. Um, but, uh, I think, you know, I think he, what, you know, I don't say about him. I, I, I think one of his parents died and he exited and then he like bought a boat and with his wife and they moved out to like the Pacific ocean somewhere. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> That's one of the top 10 reasons why you leave a business. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So he, he had a good exit, um, negotiation. Um, it was pretty, so look, a lot of people will ask me like, you know, like in the acquisition lab, I work with, with, you know, a number of, of financial buyers who are looking, you know, how do I, how do I get this done? How do I buy a company? And I'll work with a lot of them. And, and a lot of times the question is sort of like, well, you know, I don't know, like, what do you think? Like this business, you know, there's a list price on it and they're asking like a 3.2 times, like, shouldn't I see if I can get a 2.9 times or a three times earnings or like, what do you think? Like, is it too expensive? John, I just want to tell you, like, more often than not, we're talking about, like, like a three times earnings is basically three years of earnings, okay? 3.2 times earnings or 2.9 times earnings, you're talking about months, okay? I, I don't get hung up with that. I look at the cash flow, I stress test it, and I'm like, okay, here's the asking price, fine, let's do it. So almost every single company I've bought I've just paid the asking price. I, I don't get hung up in, in trying to negotiate the deal. I just, you know, people are I, like, what should I offer? And I'm like, well, what's the asking price? Like pr- maybe throw that at them, yeah. right? <laughs> I, I Look, you mentioned the stress test like two or three times in your book. I love this, what you do for a company because you know already I'm going to go, look, I'm going to finance this with yeah. debt or the cash flow of the company and let's put it under stress test. 
And I, I, it's like, I'd recommend buying this book because he talks about that's exactly what you should do. If you can find a business that's doing 5 million bucks, whatever, yep. he goes like, I need to borrow this money. Yep. Can the cash flow yep. or the debt handle the business, handle yep. that loan? The best way to the best way to build confidence in yourself is to take that business and just break it in an Excel sheet. Yeah. What does it take to break it? And the thing is, is like, you know, when you really start to look at that, um, it builds in a tremendous amount of confidence. Because I mean, a lot of these businesses, you know, they can drop, you know, thirty five percent before you're really in trouble, right? And I mean, and, and and based on an acquisition with maximizing the debt like that, you know, so. So, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying like run out and buy whatever, you know, but, but I think that if you want to build your confidence in, in terms of like, should you buy this company or not, you know, look at the, um, uh, look at the cash conversion cycle and then just break it in a spreadsheet, break the business, see what yeah. really needs to happen. And you kind of related to a margin of safety that uh, Warren Buffett talks about mm -hmm. uh, and his mentor that wrote the book. So yeah, a margin so of safety. If you're going to buy a publicly traded company right now, you know, I don't know what Apple's trading at, um, but it's probably like a 27, uh, you know, PE um, price to earnings ratio. Yeah. Uh, if you buy, you know, fulfillment company in Springfield, Missouri, you might be paying, you know, 2.7 times instead of 27 times. Right. So, I mean, it's just like the margin of safety is simply in the fact that the market is thin, that these things are hard to transfer. And that, you know, it, you know, when I went to sell that company, you know, I was really looking for someone within a 90 mile radius of Springfield, Missouri, who knew how to buy companies, who knew that it made sense, who wanted to get in this particular company, right? And I mean, we had a number of people that, that we were talking to, but you know, when you go to sell a company like this, like a bricks and mortar, you know, style company, the, 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 the market's pretty thin. You might be talking to one person, you might be talking to maybe three, yeah, yeah. you know, but, but you're looking for a very specific- You were that guy just a year ago. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't look, you know, it's, it's, it's probably a downfall of mine, but I, I, I typically don't get too hung up on the valuations when I, when I'm buying or when I'm selling, I don't try to, I don't try to drip every piece of juice out of the thing. Right. Now, is it, you know, the price terms ratio, if they get the price, you get the terms, or if you get the terms, they get the good. Price. Yeah. Good. So the purchase price is really the sort of like, um, you know, I mean, you know, that's like the country club number, right? You, you walk around the country club saying like, oh, I sold my business for, you know, $25 million, right? Well, you know, what if there was a 25% a, 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 a equity rollover? Uh, you know, the inventory was getting paid on consignment. There's, there's a 20% earn out. There's, uh, you know, and then you got to still work in the business for another three years and they're paying you hundred thousand dollars and and it's and then there's an earnout component and I mean it's just sort of like what what really happened. So I mean, you know, I've done deals, you know, where you know we'll sell a company for let's just pick a number, okay, 20 million dollars, but they're you know they're only walking with 10 at closing and then that 10 gets taxed. Right. So you know, they've got five million bucks, but like they can walk around the country club and say, hey, I sold for 20 million. And it's true. It's all in the terms. Right. All in the terms. Yeah. Are you seeing that change right now with the froth evaluations? I mean, especially it, 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 you, okay. you know, the private equity with $3 trillion yeah. encroaching on, I'm seeing, I got a lot of friends that, and this happened to me, I was looking at an IT firm that was doing $5 million. He gets an offer from a private equity firm. They just threw out a number right at the front to lock them up 
And then, yeah. you know, then they'll go through this uh, through the mud. Due, due diligence <laughs> to go, no, you know, the couch yeah. is dirty over there. There's a blah, 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 blah. And then yeah. it's down. And by that time he's committed. So <laughs> if, if you are a seller and you're selling to a private equity firm and, you know, let's just say they're based in, you know, Chicago and, and they run you through the mud, right. And you got to do all the like really hard ultra due diligence stuff with private equity firms and they're paying a really high multiple. Okay. Like, like, a, like a, like a high valuation compared to market. Um, and then they say, okay, uh, you, we've been in diligence for, you know, uh, four months and it's been a grueling experience for you. We're going to close. Why doesn't uh, everyone fly out to Chicago and then we'll just close in the morning. Oh, You're about God, to get screwed. Is, You're about is, to get screwed. That is the demo, man. <laughs> That's when they walk in. You're sitting there at the closing table and they walk in and they're like, oh, we need to change it. Just a couple of these things here, right? Because now they got you, right? Yeah. And by the way, I need you to stay on for three years. What? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yes. So what was, so seven different businesses, but when did you find that, gosh, I just need to specialize in a niche. You bought this fulfillment company. I get out. What was next? And what was next? And I go like, I need yeah. to focus. I, honestly, I didn't really want to even sell the fulfillment company. It just became like, um, you know, I, I sort of like lost a key man and uh, it was like three and a half hours from my house. And I had like, like, again, my, my mistake was buying in too many verticals. And so um, I'm going to quote, um, uh, the movie Print the Legend, if you, if you have, it's, a, it's, a, it's like the second ever Netflix original. And uh, it starts off with this quote that says, um, when you're a leader, when you're CEO, every day something comes up and smacks you in the face, right? And, and the thing is, is that's true, okay? And when you own, you know, three different companies and three different verticals with three different business uh, value propositions, three different customer profiles, three different suppliers, you, you, know, you know, all the rest of it, my head was just on swivel all the time, right? Yeah. The thing is, it's like my phone would ring and it would be like, all right, what's up? And it was just like having to solve problems. It was just a problem. It was uh, just a problem. Yeah. So I, I, I really needed to get, start to get things off my plate, right? So today I own two companies, um, well, that I've acquired. Uh, and I, in a weird twist of irony, I started the acquisition lab to teach people how to buy businesses. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's a, uh, you know, so I own um, a railing company. We do a, a fabricated aluminum railing. And then we also, I also own a, um, uh, an online uh, uh, e-commerce business where I sell toilets. Okay, that's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I, this is funny because I talked to Joe Valley. I was talking to him and I go, okay, Joe, this company that you built up to a thousand employees, you said it's digestive. What the heck was that? He goes, ah, it's colon cleanse. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So you guys are in the same kind of business. Me and Joe? We're uh, in the same yeah. business. He was in the colon cleanse and you're in the toilet business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. the receiver. So uh, <laughs> he's the giver. I'm the receiver. <laughs> Can I say that on the air? <laughs> I, I, yeah. Like, a, ooh, I immediately regret that. So uh, <laughs> what um, the railing business now, why did that, why were you attracted to that? That sounds sure. like another, you know, like physical manufacturing yeah. plant with lots of employees. Which yeah. I love. I mean, I mean, a, a couple of reasons. Look, I, number one. Um, <clears throat> so if you're on the coast, okay. 
you have, uh, you, you've got salt water and you have to have custom built fabricated aluminum railing that's powder coated so that it doesn't corrode and rust. Okay. Mm -hmm. You have to have it. Yeah. So the, the Golden State Bridge is, is painted every year with this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so, so the thing is, is like, that's where that product lives. But once you get into the middle of the United States, you really have two options, uh, steel or like, you know, rickety screw together aluminum. Steel is often rusted right when you put it in. Okay. You, you start putting in um, this rickety screw together aluminum stuff in, in St. Louis and it gets hot, it gets cold, it gets hot, it gets cold. And it's just like a really in, inferior experience, right? So the thing is, is like I bought this company because it wasn't reinventing the wheel, but it really is the only one supplying the superior product. It's got like a 25 year shelf life kind of a thing, right? And, and it just looks absolutely fantastic compared to anything else. So we do, we do awnings, we do screen rooms, we do railing, we do single piece spiral staircases. Um, and we've got the, the largest powder coat oven in the Midwest that I know of, right? So we'll put the entire We'll put the entire staircase in the powder coat oven all at once, right? And that's it's just, the big powder coat oven. Exactly. Yeah. And so the thing is, is like you can let's go back to startups. Feel free to run out and buy a large powder coat oven and try to sell services, or you know, go buy a company that's already doing seven figures in revenue and and say like, okay, you know, I can I can this is a great product. No one else is doing it, um, and and I can uh, you know I, I I know how to grow it. How how did you find that one through a broker or? Or it was, it was actually, um, so when I uh, ended up selling the, yeah, through a broker. So, so the thing with deal flow is that once you get it, you can't ever turn it off. <laughs> why, why is that? Tell me about that. Well, it's just one of these things where, um, you know, like, <clears throat> you know, in the, in, the, in the book, I talk a lot about, um, uh, you know, figuring out what, you know, the business plus you. Right. A lot of times we, we spend we spend all this time looking at the business, trying to figure out, like, what's the intrinsic value of this business? It's the wrong question. The magic is not in de-risking the acquisition. It's what do you bring to the table as the CEO of this company? OK. And so you need to figure that out. And what happened was, you know, I, like a broker that I met, I don't know. I mean, let's just say five years ago or more. I got an email from him because I've just, you know, you're out looking for a deal. You start getting on all these email lists and all of a sudden this email shows up and, and it's. You know, I'm looking at it and I'm like, hmm, I know exactly who should manage this company. And I called him up and I said, hey, uh, you know, d don't, didn't, I mean, wouldn't you say that you've done, you know, more aluminum fabrication and pow and finishing than like maybe anyone else in, in the regional Midwest? And he said, yeah. And I said, hey, there's this company for sale. You want to go look at it with me? He said, yes. And we drove out there and we looked at it and we walked through and he's really, you know, his background is like op operational excellence and like just really making companies hum. And uh, we're walking through and I'm thinking in my head like, okay, as we're walking through, when we, when we debrief later, he's going to tell me that, that, and that, right? And we got in the car and he said, uh, Walker, this is like the second best opportunity I've ever seen. <laughs> so I bought the company, put him in as the manager. Um, and then, you know, we just like increased throughput. And, and um, he, no, he is actually no longer with the business. He, he went on and, and did other things, but, but uh, I bought it because we knew that we could get in there and improve profitability and throughput immediately. Yeah. And so now, you know, um, you know. Is it a job for him or did you offer him equity or? Yeah, so he actually had um, phantom equity. 
which is where yes, I, I like. Fan- I never applied it, but yeah. I like phantom equity. And the reason why for, for those listening, stock only matters, you know, really on the day of exit, right? I mean, that, that's, you know, that's when you get the reward, right? I mean, every other time, there's really no benefit to owning equity, I guess, unless there's a whole bunch of equity holders and you need like, you know, the, the politics of it. Um, but so the thing is, is with, with phantom stock, what it means is, is like, look, you work here, you add value, we exit, like you get this piece of the company, right? Uh, but if you quit, then you're walking away from the equity, right? And now I, who have a personal guarantee on, you know, the acquisition capital, okay, um, I get to retain all of my company and I don't have like a vesting schedule. And now, now that you're fully vested, you left me, right? I don't, I don't want pieces of my company flying around elsewhere, right? So you either stay with me or you don't. Um, he ended up getting an, an, an amazing offer that I would have taken uh, if I were in his shoes. It, it's just, you know, so, so he ended up leaving. Uh, but John, the point is, is that like so many of these baby boomer companies had product market fit, you know, before the internet. Okay. And so the thing is, is like, I think that the sort of like golden ring uh, that is the greatest opportunity of our lifetime is not only the fact that you've got $10 trillion. Okay. It's like 46% of the, of the economy needs to change hands by the end of the, by the end of the day. Yeah. The baby boomers. Yeah. Huge. But the, but the thing is, is that like, these companies were all built in this sort of old economy. And by using new economy uh, 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 levers of value acceleration, okay, if you can, if you can take that old economy uh, infrastructure and grow it using the new economy frameworks that we have, that right there is the biggest opportunity that we have, if yeah. you can get that right. So that guy that you hired, I mean, it's sort of a big part of finding a business. You trusted him with your business to build yeah. even to like look for the uh look for the ways he can improve and to grow it and did he did he just like hey i'm leaving i'm gonna take this and he tell you up front or was it nice no 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 very very stand up uh uh exchange i mean he couldn't have done better it, it was one of these where you know he he had been chased and chased and ultimately you know, um, uh, the guy who ended up hiring him ended up in a hospital bed and just basically called him and said, what's it going to take? <laughs> he, he couldn't, I mean, yeah. So, so he just had a, a different opportunity and went a different way, but he, he, um, he told me what was happening. He exited perfectly. Um, you know, he even, um, uh, helped me hire his replacement. Uh, uh, but I didn't, I didn't hire those people anyway. I had someone else that I pulled from my bench. So you guys took it over. Did you grow it? Would you say after the, how many years have you owned it? Yeah. Um, I, let's see, I've owned that for, um, let's say, what year is it? It's 2021. I probably bought it in, in 2016. Um, so you have to understand like when you have um, the first, the first piece of acquisitions is that you get equity buildup just like real estate, right? So, so the thing is, it's like if you buy a business with debt, even if you don't grow it and the, va- and the value of that company stays exactly the same, just by, just by the company bringing cash in and paying, paying the debt down, you're building up equity so that when you go to exit at that same dollar figure, you get all of that money, right? It's leverage. I love that. That's, that's step one. That's step yeah. one. Step two is appreciation of the asset, right? So like, how do we grow this thing? Um, we've definitely grown it. Um, we definitely have a very strong culture now. Um, and you know, what, how much have we grown it? I am on the spot, so I don't know, but I would say we've probably grown it 25 to 30% over the last five years. And the people working there, good salt of the earth, 
people. I, that, I, I mean, it's a fantastic. I mean, I, like, I love this company. Like, there's nothing. There's no, I mean, look, I, I've got an e-commerce company. Like, I love the four-hour workweek model as well, right? Yeah. The thing yeah. is, is, like, when you walk, I've got three buildings. Like, like when you go out there, I've got three different buildings. I got guys sparking metal. You know, it's just like seeing the physical product and like the stuff coming out of the ovens. I mean, you know, the, the guys come out and they've just got like paint all over their faces. You know, it's just like, yes. Like, there's just something about, you know, making things that 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 has gotten lost in the new economy, you know, and I just, think you know, like, that's a kind of point I want to make, you know, it's yeah. a contract to say contrast to building an internet company where you just go like, it's dead, move on. I don't care. It's right. dead, move on. Let's go. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But this people, you're actually, you have people on your payroll and they become, would you say they're family or just still employees? I mean, um, friends or you keep that distance? You have to keep that distance. Um, I, I have never crossed that line, right? Like, like I don't, I don't, um, and it's not like, the thing is, is like, I want to work with people that I respect but I don't necessarily, we don't necessarily need to be friends. Like we're all there with an agenda, which is to create value, right? Um, so it's, it's never been my goal to do that. And in fact, um, you know, like I'm, I'm on the board of a company where um, it was, a, it's a startup. It's a very successful startup. And the CEO found out that uh, the employees were going out and like having drinks and like weren't inviting them. And it was one of these where it's like, yes, that's exactly right. Like, like, yeah, I have like, no interest in attending a bunch of employees. exactly yeah. like, like it, it kind of hurt his feelings. Like he was like, I thought we were friends. And it's like, no, you're not friends. Like there's employees and there's owner operators, right? Like that's, that's the difference. And as much as you can pretend that that line isn't there, it's there, it's there. And the thing is, is that like, you know, when, when my employees who I love and value and respect go home at night and go to sleep, they're not up thinking about like, what's coming at me? Like, like how, do, how do I manage the cash flow of this business? How do I grow this business? Um, I've got a personal guarantee on, you know, whatever, you know, 85, 90% of this company, you know, I mean, it's real problems, right? As, you've owned that for five years. Is that uh, a loan almost paid off? Uh, it's a 10 year SBA note. So oh, yeah, 10 year SBA. Halfway. it's all downhill now. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I want to say something. Um, you know, when I buy a company, I, I don't want people to think like, oh, this sounds great. I'm going to run out and, you know, buy a company doing half a million dollars and, and, and then I'm just going to start paying myself like hot and heavy right away. I really focus and promote eat ramen noodles. Okay. Make this, make this like a bootstrapping exercise, build up cash. Don't make a mistake. Right. So you want to build up cash and, and, you know, don't, don't jump in and start paying yourself like a huge salary right away. Okay. Yeah, I'm a you, fan will of yeah. you will succeed. Okay. It, it, as long as you live low on that totem pole at the beginning. Okay. I, 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 I'm a complete agreement. I'm on the same side. Like if you read anything about Warren Buffett, he spent a total of $300,000 on office, everything in the last 30 years. I mean, he, that's incredible. Yeah. He applies capital is capital allocation is just like, it needs to be reinvested in the business or given back to the investors. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So, but the thing is, is that like the, like, look, I mean, the, the default rate on, on, on acquisitions with SBA loans has remained below 2% for decades. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the highest it ever went to was like 1.7%. The number one lender that I work with um, has had one uh, default. Okay. When you start with a company bank that you would like to mention, 
Um, so, uh, different realms. So, so, so I, I don't want to confuse everybody. So, so, uh, there's plenty of awesome banks out there. It just depends on what you're, what you're looking for. Right. So, right. so, um, but the point is, is that like, if you look at, um, the, the data coming out of Stanford, okay. There's a lot of data that's going into uh, search fund, the search fund community. Right. Yeah, yeah. So the thing is, is that like the thing, you know, you can start looking at returns and you'll see that, you know, on our fulfillment business, we got a 52% compounded annual growth rate during the five years I owned it. Right. You can look at, you know, 10% of these acquisitions are getting 10%, you know, IRRs. Okay. Um, if you look at internal rate of return. Okay. Um, when you look at um, the, the, about 30% of them though. Okay. 25 to 30% of these acquisitions are just kind of breaking even like they're, they're not, you know, so then you've got about 70% of them. It's actually 69% that are more than doubling their money while they do this. Okay. But the 30% is kind of clawing by. The point is, is that your risk is not in defaulting. Your risk is in becoming one of the 30% that isn't doing very much. Right. And so the thing is, is that like you, you need to protect yourself and the way you protect yourself is not fail. And so rule one is going to be pay yourself nothing, build up cash during that first couple of years and, and, and build up strength in your margin of safety so that you don't. Yeah. Uh, do you, how much time do you spend with that railing company? Uh, not a lot right now. Cause I have an excellent CEO in there. So I'm uh, I probably spend an hour a week and then probably another um, like half a day meeting once every 60 days. Yeah, I think, you know, time is the, the one commodity you can't be any buy-in of. And that's, that's right. really important to that. Yeah. And see that. Yeah. yeah. And especially if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to buy a company based on seller's discretionary earnings, and then you put in a, a manager, now, now you're really operating off of adjusted EBITDA. Okay. And those numbers are different. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that like, uh, it, it becomes even more important to, to, you know, uh, not take cash out and just build up cash and let the company start to build equity over time. So the, the thing is, is there's sort of a scale or a spectrum. And I think on the one hand, you can say like, okay, I'm going to own this business. I'm going to operate this business and I'm going to pay myself to do it. Okay. On the other hand, you can say like, all right, I'm going to acquire this business. I'm going to put someone else in, I'm going to keep all my time, but I'm not going to take any cash. We're going to leave it all there and then just build up cash. And then once you hit a point where um, your, your, your cash balance is exceeding your sort of working capital needs. That's when you start taking distribution. Yeah. Right? Do you have any plans to take this railing business and look at her other agency type businesses or, or, you know, competitors in the area? So you get it to a level where it's, you're going to get the best payout with the private equity. Yeah. So I, I think that, um, you know, the thing is, is that like, the, the, the upside potential of this business is actually enormous, right? So um, I think that it's all about making decisions around um, how we want to do that. And, and you know, I'll, I'll leave it vague and just say we have, we have a number of different options that, could, that we could go to grow it aggressively, and we just need to kind of decide which one. Yeah, I, I, the only reason I brought that up, because if you said, hey, I got a company doing railings and then an e-commerce company selling toilets, the private equity company who'd offer you the biggest price goes, hmm, I'm not seeing the synergy between those two. Yeah. Well, those are different, different legal entities, by the way. Yeah. Every time I buy a company, it's yeah. a different legal entity. How, how did you come across the, uh, the toilet company? Why the toilet company? Yeah. So um, again, you know, I've got this sort of passion for old economy meets new economy. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And, you know, when I ran the printing company, um, you know, we had, we had a book printing company. And the thing is, is during that time, you know, um, the iPad came out, the Kindle came out, you know, I mean, you know, like, like newspapers are going out of business. And like in a last act of desperation, they started going after our customers. So we had a lot of technological innovations sort of coming at us, right? Um, I, I ended up using that to sort of create the strategy of the company, different story. The point is, there is no technological innovation on the horizon that will keep us from needing to poop and pee every day. Oh my God. <laughs> you are a Warren Buffett fan because he talks about, I look for businesses where the behaviors don't change. Like That's if right. I buy a gum, they're going to be chewing gum for the next hundred years. That's right. They're going to be buying insurance. They're going to be traveling on trains, et cetera. Yeah. So the thing is, is that is, you know, my, my site is called uh, Santa Flow Depot. Okay. And basically what, what the Santa Flow product does is it allows you to, to install a toilet anywhere uh, at about a 10th of the cost, okay? So instead of, instead of bringing a plumber in with a jackhammer and like running new pipes in your house, okay? That's gonna take, you know, four or five days, maybe eight to 12 grand. This is like 1200 bucks, four hour DIY install and you're done, okay? And the, and the thing is, is that it discharges out the back into a macerator garbage disposal <laughs> and, then it, and then it pumps it up through PVC piping and you just run it to your existing stack. Yeah. So you're done. So, so just by, by rethinking. So no you, longer clog toilets. You don't have to bring somebody out there with that 30 foot right. snake. Yeah. That's right. I thought about making a YouTube video. Like, will it eat that? Just like flush like an iPhone and you know, I just, I haven't done it, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it's so gross. You might get a, you might go viral. Yeah. 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 So, so it's, it's, it's one of these things where just by rethinking, you know, the toilet and, and plumbing, you know, we're able to save people a bunch of money. So like you're finishing your basement or, you know, you know, you, you, you want to turn a closet into a bathroom or, you know, um, you know, someone gets injured and they have to live on the first floor, you know, whatever, whatever the application might be. So, yeah. Cool. And then that was through a broker you found? Or? That was actually through Quiet Light Brokerage which yeah, quiet, that was through quiet. Yeah. My favorite. Yeah. So what happened was, um, it was a private, it was sort of a, it was sort of a private listing. Um, and, uh, oh, by the way, I got to stop you. Cause I did ask Joe that question. No, he, we don't do that anymore because we want to get the best price. <laughs> so this was, this was actually asked, that's true. We don't do that at quiet light cause I'm with quiet light as well. But the, the point is, is this was a buyer that very specifically didn't want it out there. Okay. So this, uh, this rarely happens. And so she um, wanted, or seller, I'm sorry, she wanted a really small pool of buyers. And Mark Dows, the founder, asked the other brokers, like, hey, who's looking right now? Who's a good buyer? And I just talked to Joe Valley uh, on, a, on a deal. And Joe told Mark, hey, uh, you, you should call Walker with this one. Like, he's, he's fantastic. Um, that's what he told me, he said. Yeah. Anyway, um, I, got the, I got the prospectus on, let's just say, um, Thursday afternoon. Um, I, I had Mark Doust on the phone on Friday. I talked with the seller Friday afternoon. I put in an LOI full price on Saturday and, you know, we were under LOI by- You by were Friday. already approved for uh, SBA loan on that? No, because that's, that's not how it worked back then, right? But, yeah. but the, the, you know, you just, you needed the deal first. But the, the point was, was that like, here's the point. When you're a first time buyer, you can't make a decision that fast. 
you don't understand what you're looking at. You know what I mean? And so the thing is, is that like, it was just, I looked at it and I was like this and I bought it. And I think, I think on three different occasions, I've seen a prospectus, I've talked to the seller and I've put in an LOI at three at full price, three different times. Well, that's exactly, I mean, I mean, I mean like in like 48 hours, you like just boom. Right. So that's yeah. exactly what the seller wanted. Yeah, exactly. So the thing is, is that like, like, Think about, think about the goodwill that I just built with the seller as well. It's like, all right, we're not screwing around on price. I don't care if it's a, a three or 3.2 or 2.9 or 3.4. I don't really care. It's about, it's about like, you know, how, how well, is the market it, devaluation or Joe, if he's involved and they are pretty good about that. Yeah. An accurate valuation for the business. That's right. That's because right. of their formula, they put on a business. Now they've probably modified that formula over the years, but 8,000 conversations later, yeah. And I mean, you know, the, 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 the valuation that I paid was a little hot, but you know, it was a little hot by months. You know what I mean? Like, like it wasn't, I mean, you know, yeah. so, I mean, let's just say I own the company for 10 years. I mean, you know, you don't die with a company. I mean, I have no plans to sell it, but like, you know, if I own that company for, for 10 years and I ended up giving the seller, you know, 90 days worth of earnings over what I should have paid, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Not me. So what's good, next? I mean, what's next on the next uh, type of acquisition? I, you got to be out there somewhere, but. Uh, yeah. So, you- so, so my life kind of moves in, I've got three buckets that I operate in, right? So, so my first bucket is sort of like businesses that I've acquired. So we talked about that. I own, I own two right now. Um, the second bucket um, is I'm, a, I'm actually a, a broker, an M&A advisor with Quiet Light. Okay. And so I help online entrepreneurs exit their businesses. All right. And then the third thing is um, everything sort of buy then build related, right? So, so, so um, you know, I teach at, at, at WashU, I teach acquisition entrepreneurship, um, you know, I, I do speaking engagements on buy then build and uh, the sort of magnum opus is this is the acquisition lab where, you know, uh, first time buyers kind of apply to work with us and it's the first do it with you buy side advisory service, right? So it's, it's world-class education, it's coaching, it's tools and it's community. And we really have, even at like 150 people, we have the single largest vetted community of buyers, right? Because um, no one's done it before. That's why I can do it you know, so low. But so I've got about 150 buyers. Um, and the irony, of course, which, which we mentioned is, is now I've got to start up again, right? You know, the acquisition lab. But, yes. but here's the thing, what's next for me, which was your question, is um, I just quietly launched a website called searchlist.com, okay? And the concept is the following. The private capital markets have better returns than, than any other market, right? But in order to get involved with that, you have to buy a privately held company, right? Um, I've got 150 people right now that I'm working with that are actively looking for, for businesses to acquire. They would welcome, you know, equity investment. Why wouldn't they? Now they can buy bigger deals. They can, they can uh, reduce their risk on, on, you know, earnings. Maybe they have to come up with no, you know, zero out-of-pocket cash. And so the point of search list is to um, uh, generate a newsletter that has uh, investors signing up so that we can match uh, as soon as, as soon as my buyers get deals under contract, we can run a newsletter and invite, invite uh, incoming um, capital. So we closed our first deal and had 5 million in, in capital raise. Uh, and our second one right now looks like it's going to raise about seven, right? It's, a, it's like an angel list and a syndicate. That's exactly what it is. I want to create the angel list for, for uh, uh, lower middle and, and, and main street private market. I That's love it. that. That's great. That's it. Are yeah. you taking a piece of the company also in that? 
with um, your value you bring or? Yeah, I'm, I'm still working through the business model, frankly, John. I mean, I'm just trying to like get deals done right now. Um, but the way it's currently priced is we're taking 2% on the equity raised. Yeah. So not, not big dollars at, you know, five, 7 million. No one, no one cares about the 2%, but, um, uh, we'll see how it goes. I want to start, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm actually following, uh, how AngelList started, which was a newsletter. And then they started getting deals done and then they created the platform. Right. So, so, you know, you look at say like searchfunder.com and I think that's, it's, it's a fabulous site. I think it, it's, it's more like LinkedIn for that kind of, you know, MBA group of, of searchers. Um, um, but I think search list is, is the, the sort of angel list for, for these types of deals. God, I love that idea, man. That's great. I've been a part of angel list for a long time and it's funny how they go, gosh, I got a list of 50,000. Some are very wealthy. What should I do with it? Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we've got about 40 investors on search list right now. And, um, I, like I don't know for sure, but but uh, I look at the names and I know the size of some of these people and firms. And I mean, there's there's already over a hundred million um, signed up just looking to wow. invest. So now I'm just trying to figure out like, okay, how do we get them the deals they want, and how do we sort of you know get get these entre acquisition entrepreneurs the money that they're after, right? They match it. Yeah. And then you're kind of doing cradle to grave with being associated with this part and the deal flow with mm -hmm. the book with the exit yeah, and, so, finance and everything in between. Yeah. Well, yeah. look, it's, it's, I've already talked to you for an hour and I think I could go for two hours, but I appreciate your time on this. This is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, thank you so much. I like, I love talking about nothing else. <laughs> I, I have to recommend everybody get out and buy this book on Amazon. I am not an affiliate, so I don't make any commission on it. I just enjoyed the read. It's very good. Buy then build. Thanks Walker. John, thanks so much. Great to All be right. with you. Cheers.